0: This podcast is supported by The Oxford Method, an online UK university preparatory program designed to successfully prepare international students for Britain's top universities. As a patron of the show, you can get up to 40% off their over 30 course options, as well as their university preparatory services. In addition to those crazy discounts, you also get access to extra bonus episodes, patron only content, ad free episodes, and much more. So why wait around? Head over to patreon.com slash Coffee and sign up today. Now, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the 37th episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I am your host, Dr. Anne Wand. This month, for our final episode of the Controversies and Contraband series, we have the pleasure of talking with sociolinguist, anthropologist, and yoga specialist, Dr. Patrick McCartney, who will be talking with us today about the questionable history of whole yoga. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, and for inviting me. Pleasure. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you were having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Patrick, would you like to start?
1: Uh, I have a, I have a premix uh, a shochu, so it's uh, from from the Seven Eleven around the corner. Shochu, it's like sake, uh, but like twenty five percent alcohol.
0: So that's so where you're. It's oh no, not your homework you were doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been furniture I've been moving furniture all day. Actually, <laughs> in 30, 34 degree heat. Oh. Gee. Um. Uh. Yeah. With ice. In yeah. Diego.
0: Yeah. And you're calling us from Japan. Which part of Japan?
1: Yeah. I'm in Kyoto. Yeah. Kyoto.
0: Okay. Yeah. I hear it's really hot at the moment. Oh, it's it's it's, it's hell. boiling.
1: Uh, right now, it's basically some sort of typhoon. It's it's, it's oh, raining really hard and it's super hot and
0: humid. Oh, well, yeah. that sounds yeah. sounds delightful. Oh well, yeah, that, that could be a, a maybe a terrible segue, but <clears throat> we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> so, tell us, Patrick. Uh, you sent me actually. I'll I'll kind of explain to the listeners. So, you sent me a really interesting pitch that like really stuck me in my tracks. And You said you were doing some research on the history of yoga and you came across some facts, I will not give them away yet, that caused some people to raise an eyebrow as to whether or not they agree with it, think it's okay, um, whether it might be true or not true. Of course, based on your research, it seems to be very much true. So uh before we kind of spill the beans, uh, I was gonna ask you what initially got you interested in the history of yoga or more particularly the history of pole dancing, also known as pole yoga or poga. Poga. Isn't that what they all
1: polga? call? Them? Polga. Poga. Yeah. Someone in I think Kansas
0: uh like trademarked it as
1: as polga. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You you'd wanna get your your voice in that, that's for sure.
0: I feel like Weird Owl will be coming out with an accordion, but <laughs>
1: Uh, I, it kind of the, the reason I, I've, as you said, I, I, I'm an anthropologist, but I, I also have training in archaeology and historical linguistics and, and classical philology as well. So I'm something of Indologist, uh, Sanskritist, and so I've, I've always had a, a fascination with, you know, just old things in general, but, Mm. I, and and I actually started out. I, I went from like you know really old stuff, and and then found myself more interested in what people were doing with really old stuff. In terms, yeah, of
0: but old stuff. You mean like like five thousand year old stuff, not like my grandpa's old stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I was convinced I could read the hieroglyphs. You know, well, the we Egyptian all? section in the museum, and uh, you know. But then I, you know, I came to find out about. Uh, uh, sanskrit and that fascinated me uh the, the indus valley culture fascinated me uh, and so yeah then i became interested in in how in how yoga and the set the sanskrit and yoga the biographies of both of those two things is what essentially interests me. so so i'm interested today in, in, in how people construct identities and ways of life and how nations um Branded, particularly mm-hmm. India, how India uses yoga and Ayurveda uh, as a way to kind of brand the nation. Uh, so, so, and in order to do that, I then have to go back and look at history as well and, and look at primary sources in, in Sanskrit and other, other languages. So
0: basically my so brain hurts like all the time. <laughs>
1: <isn't it? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't get caught, don't get caught uh, don't get caught, uh in the corner at a, at a at a dinner party with me. I might like, make your ears bleed about Sanskrit or something. <laughs> That's
0: okay. I'm here to be tested, so I'm ready. Right. But I also do All my right. homework. So let's go with the first question. Uh, and that sure. is, what is malakam I hope I said that right. Or what mm. is referred to as the wrestler's pole and its history? And how does it relate to yoga or more particularly pole yoga?
1: Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting question. Um and the the reason that we're talking about it is based on on a Saturday night about four or five years ago where I was just on YouTube, just cruising through the algorithm and I was riding the algorithm and uh, I came across these videos of this thing called Malakam. I'd never heard of it before and there was these Indian guys that were, you know, quite athletic looking and they had bright orange undies on and they were just climbing up and yeah yeah climbing up and down this pole and like spinning around and standing up on top of it this big wooden pole just like this is incredible how come i've never heard of this before yeah and i so i started to i started to watch more and more videos about it and then it's you know and then it the, some videos were going, Oh, this is pole yoga. And some people were saying in their videos, Pole yoga is 5,000 years old, it's 10,000 years old, it's 15,000 years old, 16,000 years, years old. old, million years old. It's <laughs> like who the highest bidder wins, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: and I, I, so I started to I look into it because, as I said, uh, you know, I'm interested in, in the biographies of things and, and what people can do with them. And so, my first interest was in Sanskrit and the reconstruction of Sanskrit as a spoken language, the you know, kind of Esperanto kind of thing or you know, people who are interested in trying to like, revive Latin or some indigenous language.
2: Mm. And my
1: second, second research project is, is all about kind of global yoga today and the marketing of that and looking at different market segments. And now my third project is this whole yoga malakam thing. And so malakam means... It means the wrestler's pole, like right? mala means wrestler and kamba means uh, pole. But the funny thing is that a lot of the people who promote it, they don't seem to realise that it's not a Sanskrit word and that's not even in the original text from the 12th century that kind of first mentions it. But as far as I can tell, the, the word malakam doesn't appear until uh, maybe halfway through the uh, 18th century. Mm. Uh uh, and it's a Marathi term. It's not a Sanskrit term. So, you know, there's this, uh, they, that's where it got really interesting uh, because as soon as I started looking into even just the most uh, cursory things about it, it's just like, wait, what? Like, that's not, that doesn't seem to be accurate. I and mean, this doesn't seem to, I, I, all of these things. And then I had people shouting at me through the internet in and capitals <laughs> and, you know, telling me I was wrong about things. It's, ah, just, oh, just asking questions, you know, I'm curious. Um, so yeah, Basically, the idea is is that that Malikam, the kind of the, the main the main gist of the, the biography, the 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 canon, I suppose, is that it it uh, it all kicks off around the twelfth twelfth century down in South India somewhere, and uh, these wrestlers just, just are using it as a. Uh, as part of their training regime to become wrestlers, and, you know, they're, they're royal wrestlers, they have contracts with, with the royal court, and there's, but it's, so in the wrestling section of, of this, this it's kind of like an encyclopedia, it's called the Manasalasa, and, uh, it's essentially, you know, it, it explains all these different things that a king should do to run, run the, the kingdom, and there's a whole section on, on amusements and sports and so that within the amusement section is the, the wrestling section and there's only a hundred verses in it or something like that and only three of them mention the, the shrama is the term that's used and which means pole exercise, pole effort and it basically just says yes yeah, so get a pole, fix it into the ground Rub it in like sandalwood oil, so it's slippery, and then climb up and down it and spin around. That's the thread's basically the summary of the three verses. So, we don't have a lot of information going. go on. But then there's another text that, uh, it's called the Malapurana, and that, that, that has a bit more information on it. Uh, but it, it doesn't mention Malakam, it mentions Stumbashama also. So. And that's dated to around a similar time, so. <laughs> So how, how they relate to yoga, though, that's, that's where it gets even more interesting because it's not until basically around about this uh, similar time frame that th- this modern idea of yoga started to emerge. And that, that was around 1850, uh, really kind of taking off and, and solidifying, uh in, say, the first half of the uh, 20th century. So between 1850 to 1950 is kind of like really important for, for modern yoga. And it turns out that's also really important for, for Malakam. And so I haven't been able to find, uh, a book on Malakam until it's published in 1922. I had to get uh, a scan of a, of a, from the Library of Congress in Washington. And it's, it's in Marathi. And so then I can then, I ended up, I collected, I collected like probably 20 or 30 of these kind of health manuals from like going back to like even the 1850s through to the 1950s in Hindi, Marathi, Gujarati, and uh, in the English. And some of them mention Malakam, some of them don't. They generally don't say much at all, but it's, but the book that's from 1922 that's actually titled malakam and the, the the author of that he he says quite plainly he's going there's there's basically no historical connection between between yoga or hatha yoga and uh and malakam but they worked they work well together so you know there's, there's no there shouldn't be a problem uh so that's pretty much it um and it's it's through the the expansion of the the postures, the yoga postures during that same time that, that, uh, they were adopted into the repertoire of your, uh, of, of Malakam's routine. And it's, but, and the reason that they came together is because a lot of people perhaps don't know this, but the modern yoga basically grew out of, uh, like bodybuilding and, uh, and, and quite a martial culture in general. So, the first, like the, the sun salutations, the surya namaskar, that 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 has developed out of a medieval uh, routine, which is what it's what wrestlers still do it today, right? And okay. and and so the they call it the dumba betak, uh, sapna means to fold in Hindi. So it's kind of like a push up or, or a burpee. You know oh, you know the burpee? Burfee's hate that. No, not barfee, but I
0: burpee. Call barfies. Barfies. Oh okay, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But barfee is that Indian uh, it's sleep, dessert and it's know?
0: delightful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, so the, the burpee basically it's kind of like a burpee and that that was developed into, into the into the sun salutations. not until like the 1920s or something.
0: So so, so, so there's like this. You know whole Right. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I taught yoga for like twenty years or something.
0: Yeah. So for yeah. you know a while, you've, you've yeah. been at mm-hmm. this. Well, um, this history of pole yoga um, you just mentioned is rooted in medieval wrestling. wrestling um, mm-hmm. Based mm-hmm. on the stuff mm-hmm. that you sent mm-hmm. me, and from what you've told me, and what I've read, it's predominantly between men. I think we would agree that that seems to be the trajectory that it is going in, or it has gone in historically. Yet your research suggests that it has female origins. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about this and why your findings might potentially be considered controversial?
1: Yeah. There, there's one thing that, that came up in my, my research was um, that there, there are several instances, not, even in the, not just in the medieval period, but even in the ancient period of, of, of women wrestlers. And... On top of that, so some were considered quite famous that like men wouldn't wrestle them because you know like, a man wouldn't want to lose to a woman wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's instances of that, like here are patterns scattered across, you know, like primary texts. But it, um, so there's if you go like way back. I mean, so basically, basically what I did, right? I started thinking about the the biography of Malakam and it, and it all, it all just kind of kicks off in the 12th century in, in that, in that text, the Manasalasa. And if you do a web search for Malakam, everyone just says the same thing. And that's the, that's the type of kind of factoid or rumor that really, that, that sends up a red flag for me. It's like, everyone keeps saying it, but like, why do they keep saying it? Right. And so the first question that came to my mind was just like, well, where did the rest of get it from? Mm. You know? And so that, that's where it kicked off for me. And, and I was, I was thinking, well, they, they must have got it from somewhere. And then uh, in the process of trying, actually I was, I was commissioned to, to do, to write a book chapter, uh, from, uh, the Hatha Yoga project at SOAS in 2018. On Malakam and its possible relations to 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 yoga. and every time I, I kept trying to verify something because one of the problems is there's basically within the like the scholarly world of yoga and or Indian studies in general, let's say there's there's basically nothing written about wrestling and there's nothing and um, even less written about uh, Malakam. and what's written is just written based on, like, mythology sort of stuff. So but every time I kept trying to, like, find stuff or try and link stuff with Hatha Yoga, I kept finding stuff about uh, acrobats or tumblers or, like, mountbanks or uh, saltum. What is it? Salt, 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 and, salt and biscuits or whatever? Anyway. I don't
2: know. I have no idea. You,
1: street performers, right? Basically, that, that was the thing. And then it turned out that these street performers were also getting contracts in the royal courts to to perform so they it's not like the the wrestlers were royals like you know, upper class they, they were considered stage performers just like the the wrestlers and the singers and the actors and the jugglers and the magicians you know so there's all this whole kind of guild in some sense of, of you know the carnies you know they mm. so got small hands and smell like cabbage. Smell like cabbage. Maybe
0: <laughs> you said it. I didn't. <laughs> uh,
1: it's, it's an old line from The Simpsons, I think. But
0: I think um, it was uh, Austin Powers.
1: Was it? Oh, it could have been. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, at every turn, when I was trying to basically just focus on on these royal wrestlers and and yoga, I kept, I kept. Walking into these, these acrobats. And, and then I came across some stuff that was, that took it way back. Uh, so as I said, it's like 12th century is when Malakam kind of is born in a sense. But then if you go back and look at, uh, stuff from like the, the, the Vedas. So it's the Shukri age of Veda and then a couple of, the, like the brahman and the Shattva. Can
0: explain to the listeners what the Vedas are so they understand the relevance? Yeah, so the, the Vedas, I mean, roughly
1: we have this kind of historical kind of idea of the Vedas. The Vedas are primarily four texts, uh, and they, they kind of underpin uh, what Hinduism becomes, in a sense. Okay. And you have texts that are kind of focused on uh, ritual, and then the, the mantras that are used um, and then there's a, another section on kind of like magical stuff uh, the basic stuff that music comes out of uh, so we're talking a period roughly about maybe like 1200 BCE to say 500 BCE that's that's one of the kind of windows that you given some people make it earlier so a bit later but that's that's roughly it and so the, the shukla yajurveda and the, the shakupata bravmanapotichini it's maybe like it could be around 800 uh a thousand ce maybe like i i don't i don't really know i'm not a, i'm not kind of like a Vedic specialist to be honest that's
0: okay but. but i think kind of to get back to this this idea of of sort of what your research is finding, and if I can kind of summarize in a, in a brief bit and then you can expand, is that it seems like there's this idea that people have of when the history of yoga started or certain aspects of yoga started, and particularly pole yoga. And what you're finding is that just because that's what people assume, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily accurate. And then through that, you're also discovering that potentially there, um, whatever you're finding might be in contradiction with <laughs> sort of the image of how yoga needs to be within the tourism market. Would you say that that's fair?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's so much misinformation around the, the, the history of yoga uh, for, for convenience. So
2: yeah,
1: but the, the it, thing that I the thing that I have found is that you, there are mentions in these early texts of not only people climbing up and down poles, but people who its profession was to to climb up and down poles and to act as acrobats and essentially, you know, to to be kind of uh, uh, informal with it. You know, they're basically pole dancing on these bamboo poles like, you know, 3,000 years ago.
0: Okay, so let's kind of (laughs) hone in on this pole dancing aspect. Um, So if we look at the research that you found, uh, you have said that the evidence you collected appears to support the idea that the aesthetic transition from simple static postures to complex contortionist postures was directly influenced by outcast pole dancing prostitutes, which is the female <laughs> element that you ended up discovering in terms of the history of pole dancing. That was the yeah. big what? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Obviously, this is a very bold <laughs> claim. So could you tell the listeners how you came to this uh realization or conclusion?
1: Yeah, I mean I know to say like pole dancing prostitutes is a bit cheeky, but you know, like like you said, it caught your attention, right? <laughs> yeah. I
0: definitely <laughs> but, I definitely made but, me go, maybe <laughs> throw this guy back.
1: But that but that's the thing. I mean <clears throat> to, to kind of deal with the, the prostitution theme first is that is that a lot of these groups were known uh throughout throughout the ages as either just because they danced in public on top of poles of being, you know, licentious or that the the impression was that they were kind of loose in some way.
0: They are the men or the women or
1: both. I I mean, that's an interesting thing because if you look across like the, the, the performing guilds, like all across Asia into, into the near East, uh, anyone who was basically a stage performer, their sexuality, if you're a man, your, your sexuality was questioned. You were, you were assumed to be homosexual if you were some sort of stage performer. Really? <laughs> right? So, yeah. So, uh, so there's that. But the, so the prostitution thing though is that a lot of these groups, like the, the groups that particularly, uh, historically known to have focused in on being sort of nomadic uh street performers that specialized in pole dancing quite often uh pimped out their their women or they were known like the the men were kind of layabouts and they just pimped out their women and then and that kind of like links in with the whole uh uh they're the dusty the temple girls and stuff which you know is all across asia in some
0: sense i didn't realize there were temple girls.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah, the David Darcy's is this, this famous kind of thing. It's similar to, like, you know, the Oracle stuff in Oh, ancient in, in ancient and, Greece.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very similar to that. And that that's all across Asia. Interesting. Yeah, ancient period. But uh, David Darcy's is still around today. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but, so. so, so, like, the prostitution thing is, is legit, as far as I can tell. Uh, But, <clears throat> so these, uh, But even, so then if you start looking at kind of the Buddhist literature that, that comes in around, you know, like the end of the, before the common era, so, you know, two, two thousand years ago kind of time, um, it's, it becomes quite clear that, that these people were, that they had their own guilds, their, their their own professional guilds of, um, of nomadic, wandering troops of performers and that's linked like right across the you know the silk roads and all that sort of stuff okay um because they they that's what they kind of traveled along for it um but the uh, uh what am i trying to say the the people who who were first mentioned in the in the Shukla Veda. They lived in uh, in outcast villages deep in the mountains, and like the, so, the mentions of them that you find, you know, they they went down into the down into the outskirts of the city and tried to perform, you know, out the front of the gates of the city. They weren't allowed in because they were outcasts. And, you know, they got beat up because they were outcasts and all this sort of stuff. So there's all these like, you know, ancient stories of this dimension But the thing about the the postures and that whole ac- you know, this what I what I refer to as the acrobatic term or the contortionist term. That comes much later because the the original kind of ascetics, the proto-yogis in a sense, they weren't they weren't stretching that the whole stretching side of yoga doesn't even begin to emerge until like the 10th century 11th century according to the scholars who are really focused in on that stuff and it doesn't really kind of mature until like the 14th 15th centuries so we're talking about people who are pole dancing who are climbing up you know quite tall bamboo poles uh several meters above the ground in fact <laughs> and who were and doing quite back quite
0: terrifying through. to look at i've oh seen the videos God. and it's like yeah. holy smoke yeah, yeah, i yeah. think yeah. the pole is gonna snap because it's super thin yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. but bamboo is really strong the mullicum poles they use today are like teak wood, really genuine but it's these bamboo poles yeah i think you can buy i've seen like a, online you can buy like a Mm. Steady, pole. But, so these poles, these bamboo poles, you know, they'll they'll, they'll strap a couple of them together so that they, they're climbing up uh several yeah, meters. And then high. they kind
0: of bend in the wind, which is
1: yeah, 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 line. yeah. And, they, and they'll put yeah. kids put
0: top. on top. Oh my God, Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. a swing. bit and swing and, so there's, there's artwork from from the like, middle ages basically that in the a little bit of a that bit you know, uh, a woman... a woman. On top of the pole, and she's swinging a kid around that's in a basket. And then, it's at the mm-hmm. crescendo of the performance, she'll drop the basket, and the kid will fall, fall to the ground and and be caught. You know, with, with much relief by everyone in the crowd. Um, yeah. So there's that. But the, I
0: was going to say, there was one woman in the 17th century who did not make it, and there's a oh yeah dedication to her, isn't there?
1: yeah yeah her name's yelika that intrigues me i haven't been able to get back to india to to go find this this memorial stone is what it's called but it's Mm. it's down in uh like south india somewhere and uh kind of near to hyderabad so yeah it basically the, the 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 translation so this was in like the archaeological survey database from 1940 i found it uh And it says something like the the girl Yelika, her name, uh, who climbed the pole and spun around and danced in the air, uh fell down and died on the spot, sort of thing. So the fact that like this outcast girl was kind of revered enough in some sense to 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 have a stone carved in in memoriam is I think kind of significant in some way.
0: Well, I think it also kind of speaks to you know sort of surpassing the caste system as well, because if if yeah. this is, I mean again I I'm not a specialist by any means, but if you are still dealing with caste systems, you know and we're talking hundreds of years ago, and yet mm. it's somehow able to transcend from what is considered potentially at that time to be quite um, a degrading profession, say, and it's yeah, yeah, worked yeah. its way. Somehow into modern yoga in some form or fashion, but the history might be removed from it. I think um, speaks to the power of being able to transcend boundaries, which I think is also an interesting element. Um, but if we could getting into that idea of branding modern yoga, or you know, the modern yoga as we know it today, how could your findings tying po yoga to prostitution potentially, or aspects of it to prostitution? Uh, be problematic when it comes to marketing and branding yoga as a whole? I think
1: I think the way to first dive into that is to think about the, the global yoga industry in, in terms of its life cycle and how the, the way I look at it, at least, is that yoga, the yoga life cycle is quite saturated. So I had a massive growth phase that matured now it's saturated and, and i think the evidence for that is is the fact that there are so many different types of yoga you know every every yoga entrepreneur is needs to come up with some innovation you know to create distinction and and to somehow become relevant so you know you've got death metal yoga, or yoga or penguin yoga or, you know, all these different types and so pole yoga kind of fits in in, in that way but then there's also and it came across from you know how uh, maybe it was 20 years ago or something how you know erotic pole dancing from strip clubs became some sort of like feminist uh, empowerment, empowerment yeah. Ex- yeah. exercise thing so it, it, it links in with that in, in quite an e- interesting way and
0: but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem it, it seems to strip the controversial element to it
1: oh yeah yeah sure i mean i don't know if you've ever tried to like do the pole dancing stuff but, i mean i
0: think it would be a mistake i think i would hurt <laughs> <laughs> i'll be honest
1: i'm <laughs> on it i'm
0: like what are we doing
1: <laughs> i can't even do a chin-up to be honest no, like, no. I, <laughs> so I, I have great respect for, for the, the pole dancers for sure um yeah, it. I mean, I don't know if there was some sort of, you know, uh, conspiracy to to erase the the criminal cast because that's what they were called during the colonial period, right? They, they there was this whole thing around the criminal castes, and that's where you find a lot of ethnographic material on on these particular groups who were the specialists in, in, in the pole dancing, or the pole performance, and they. And they were outcast. But they also, they also, these performers would go around and collect a special tax as well, the performance tax. Mm. Everyone had to pay it, right? And then also they would then donate a lot of that money to a temple. And then that's how their kind of status elevated as well. Um, but if you look at if you look at acrobats and wrestlers, you can go all the way back to Babylon and to Egypt to find the mm. how these 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 Kind of stage performers in general had a really important, important position within the, the ritual and symbolic universe of, of legitimising royal power, and the acrobats as well. And this links into like my theory around why it is that the medieval Hatha yogis adopted the contortionist uh, aspects of the acrobats is that acrobats were especially considered to essentially be otherworldly and to have superhuman powers, to be able to climb up the pole and do backflips and to have the focus and to be fearless. And they also, because they were involved in like funeral pre- processions as well, they, there was all of this stuff about them just being supernatural and otherworldly. Mm. And, and so, and but how that relates to the, I think basically in some way they got got erased. And I don't know if that was like well, we're just not gonna mention the pole dancing prostitutes sort of thing. Or well, people just forgot about it.
0: Because Or well, maybe they had bigger fish to fry, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, because even like the the wrestlers, like if you if you think about kind of Indology and the, the whole Orientalist project, you know, over the last couple of hundred years, people weren't interested in, in wrestlers and, and pole dancers they were interested in unlocking you know the perennial secrets of of the philosophy of the vedas uh, you know or or, you know they got right into the grammar and and william jones is you know the birth of comparative historical linguistics realizing that sanskrit was related to latin ancient greek that's what people were focused on and that's kind of why also in a similar way i think white people. Today, scholars of India, yoga, Sanskrit have also kind of avoided that. um, Interesting. These topics as well. They're just interested in something else, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, if we could kind of go from that for sort of like our final sort of discussion point, shall we say? Um, Let's say people have bigger fish to fry. Um, You know, I do think it's interesting that that these these dancers could have a spiritual element to them that could maybe explain why aspects of yoga as interpreted by the West could be seen as trying to reach a higher version of themselves or a higher power or what have you. Um, But then <clears throat> not just having, there's like, this seems to be like a spiritual element, a uh, strength element, which I can see how that ties into war, but then a love element that ties into um some of the, uh, you know, maybe potentially prostitutional elements of this as well. But either way, I think that th- what I'm trying to get at is it seems to be very multi layered. There's mm-hmm. not one version that you can really stick to. And that like anything, everything is layered. Everything um, is, ins- you know, people, languages are inspired by multiple things. Um,
2: mm-hmm. And that
0: this is just one other element that also seems to be a hybrid of a myriad of things that have sort of come together. And to get back to some of the work that you've done, uh, when people talk about wanting to practice pure yoga, what Mm. you have actually said in your work is that that doesn't really exist. um, Mm. And that, you know, there's so much that hasn't even necessarily been if it was written, we haven't found it yet. Or um, maybe it was you know passed on through word of mouth. And like you said, more important things came up on the scene. And so it just wasn't passed on. Uh, All of which is fascinating. But. The other thing that you had talked about, and I know we'll talk about this a bit more in the bonus episode, is that when you have tried to discuss your findings to the public, um, there has at times been a backlash from uh, some people who might uh, be supportive of, of a canceled culture, shall we say, maybe the woke movement as well. Um, and I wanted to know how the woke movement or cancel culture based on the findings that you have found that you want to talk about has had an effect on you being able to present some of your more controversial findings with regards to yoga with the public.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've received death threats (laughs) (laughs) just for wanting to talk about yoga in a different way. I had a bunch of people try and take me to the human rights commission for offending Hindus. that was all quite interesting. That seems to have kind of died down these days. I
0: wow.
1: I, I got right off You're Facebook. Still alive, so. <clears throat> yeah, I'm still alive. Um, yeah, no, uh, the you know, without trying to be too disparaging, some some people and some scholars of yoga also you know who are, consider themselves scholar practitioners. Um, <clears throat> You know, yoga, yoga is, is, a, is a special thing. It's a kind of a protected category in some sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there seem to be uh, things that would are deemed inappropriate to, to discuss. And the problem for me is that I find the things that people don't want to talk about, the things that I want to talk about, um,
0: ah to be an anthropologist
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you know queering the other and you know all that sort of thing and-
0: but not to start fights i think that's the difference one thing i try to explain to people who don't understand anthropology is that we don't we don't want to i mean i don't want to start a fight i just want to yeah. understand why i'm just genuinely curious yeah. why but, and, then, yeah. and let, educate me tell me i want to yeah, yeah, i want to yeah. learn but i don't think that always comes out the way that we necessarily want it to you know and it, it could backfire
1: yeah, so I mean, I, I've I've had I've had uh, general you know consumers of yoga, yoga studio owners, um, I've had other scholars of yoga all ask me similar questions along the lines of like, why do you hate yoga so much? Or why do you hate India? Why do you hate Indians? And so like, I don't hate any of those things. Yeah. I just think there's another side to it, that's, and I'm curious as to why no one talks about it, but. You know, the, the stu- my stuff with um, you know with how I, I I've written a bunch of stuff on links with yoga and you know, Hindu nationalism or just fundamentalism in general, like talking thinking in terms of like yoga funda- fundamentalists of, the, of any geographic region in the world. I mean, surely the listeners must must know someone who's really into yoga and
0: who's really really
1: annoying yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, i mean i used I to i used be to be people. like that <laughs> <laughs> i used to be like that i you know i thought everyone should do yoga I, you know uh, and, and all of that sort of adopted a lifestyle and then I, I started to realize that i was in some way being groomed into into basically some sort of hindu nationalist uh just general general vibe in in some sense you know and when i realized that i was like wait. Uh, I just seem to be hanging out with like people I don't really want to be hanging out with, and then I realized, then I realized that like the, the boundaries between between these social worlds between you know Hindu nationalists and just general people who love India or going to India and, or like yoga, um, those boundaries are really uh, ambiguous, and the, 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 they're actually a lot closer than people might think because you know the the same these different groups of people are quoting the same books they're, they're talking about the same sort of lifestyles the same sort of diets the same kind of utopias um and they might not even like know that the other exists in some sense and so you know that so if you if you if you start talk trying to tell people I mean I've had people in lectures that I've given like Basically, stand up and start shouting at me, you know, telling me like, her I must, I must be crazy to think that, that a, a yoga person somewhere in the world could be inadvertently supporting uh, you know, Hindu nationalism." Like, well, I just explained it. What did you miss? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I think but, that that's really challenging. And I, I, you know, I, I won't, you know, I, I have to, I have to be diplomatic, uh, especially since this is my podcast. But um, I can say that. There have been instances when I have presented political information and uh, the person receiving that information hasn't liked it. And mm. I've learned in the work that I've done that I have to quote people who are from that area in order for them to stop getting angry. I mean, they might not agree with it, but it's almost like they have to hear it from somebody else. In order for them to go, oh, well, now this is awkward. And mm. so I, I think, you know, that just also speaks to sort of the difficulties when you talk about politics or religion. And I think in your case, unfortunately, it's kind of a combo of the two in some respects. Mm. Um, it's it's always going to kind of get people's back up if it's if it goes against the grain of what is technically accepted at, at this time and place. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and th- th- there's a monetary kind of aspect to it as well because a lot of a lot well, of yoga politics, scholars, of
0: course, there's a monetary aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but what I mean is that there's a lot of yoga scholars who have you know got kind of side hustles, um, you know, running courses, where they set up sort of institutes or whatever, and or you know they they write books and I. I think I've come, to, I've come to read read a few yoga books and yeah, as drafts and sent back to the author and said like, you know, like, a lot of this stuff is kind of a bit iffy what you're saying and they're like, oh, yeah, but I just want people to like buy my book and this is the sort of stuff that yoga people like to read. So, so then it becomes like, you know, there's this, there's this cynical approach to the recycling of these yoga factoids.
0: I would say almost like an ethical
1: approach as well. Oh yeah, there's 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 a weird ethic thing going on for sure. Yeah. So, and so so then it comes down to it's you know there's there's, in some sense, uh, scholars of yoga particularly are are at the mercy uh, of of the consumer. uh, In in many ways, you know that course you know, because I I've, I used to run a lot of um, courses, you know, one day courses and stuff. I just go around and give some sort of history of Sanskrit and Tantra and mantras and stuff, and do some stretching. and And it was always so interesting to me how how uh, you know, depending on if you just change some aspect of of the poster, <laughs> it, you know, if what how how it could change whether you know. The number of people that came,
2: mm.
1: and so you know, I have I have a, I have a really intimate uh, insider experience of you know more than a decade at least of, of trying to like get people to come to my yoga classes and, and playing around with you know the images and, and, the, and, the, and the font <laughs> and just just the rhetoric and, and that sort of thing. So I, I've come to know it also from from that angle, and so. Yeah, the thing is, is that some scholars of yoga who were who also trying to do something similar and, and, and run courses on outside of the university or they're, they're kind of beholden to a sense by, by that, by the consumer base who want to know a particular narrative that they've come to, come to identify with. And I find that I, I can't personally bend to that. So I don't do yeah. too many of those lectures these days. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Say I the wrong for, things.
0: Yeah. I think for those listening, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, how it, for those that are yoga practitioners, if there are similarities they found across the board that maybe attracted them, that um, maybe if they had heard a different narrative and we will provide uh, readings in the show notes, if it might cause them to, to pause in their tracks for a little bit uh, and be willing to potentially see things from a different perspective, or if it makes them uncomfortable and then maybe have them ask themselves, why am I feeling uncomfortable? And it could just be because we've been you know, fed a certain thing and it's yeah. prevented us from allowing there to be space for other versions or other interpretations of that.
1: Well, one of the, one of the, I suppose, more recent ones is if you think about say the branding strategy of just a general quote yoga. Mm. How how yoga has been uh, instrumentalized towards a uh, social justice activism. Mm. And what's what's really kind of funky about the rhetoric that's used is that there's all these people that are applying critical race theory mm-hmm. to yoga. And who claim to be yoga specialists or traditional stewards or you know, indigenous knowledge keepers, or, you know, these sorts of terms that they use to create legitimacy for themselves. And then they'll, they'll say something like yoga was, is, and will always be about social justice activism and uh, collective liberation.
2: You know,
1: that they take on the, the rhetoric of, of cultural Marxism. And and then they'll quote, you know, like the some of the, the seminal primary texts, like Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, that was written maybe 350 CE, roughly. And they'll they'll say that this is the highest example of ethics uh and morality, and they'll claim that it it references uh community building and embodied embodied experience. And it's like, wait, hang on a sec. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Like, I've read that uh, just a handful of times, you know, from cover to cover. It's uh, four chapters. And, I mean, it literally says the opposite. Like, the whole aim of it is to reject. It, it literally says, like, in the same part of the the second chapter that they quote from or that they reference, they don't necessarily quote it. It says one of the... Uh, one of the signs that you will come to know that you're advancing in your yoga journey is your rejection of society. But then they'll, they'll claim that it actually says the opposite, that it says that, that yoga is about community being.
0: But do you think the rejection of society, the way it may be interpreted, is it's a rejection of the negative aspects of society?
1: No, no, it's just complete rejection of society, or like to have nothing to do with it, to be absolutely outside of it. To, to, but the aim, the final aim of of that that particular style of yoga, which has come to kind of embody, uh, like the it's the yoga Bible, you could say, right?
2: Mm. Um,
1: if if you start asking someone like, "What's what's yoga?", they'll they'll reference this text, right? Or, "What's a yoga lifestyle?", they'll reference this text.
0: And Do you think that people the
1: final be- aim is yeah. is is isolation. That's what the, the term means. K value that means isolation. And then in the final verse it basically like it becomes quite not not even ambiguous. Basically it just says, Well, you just you go so deep within yourself that you'll end up in a coma and you you won't come back from that. Sounds fun. Okay. Like that's not exactly like um not exactly uh, a, a good example of uh, community or even collective liberation because it's about ident- its about disidentifying everything that you think is—is is your body and your mind and all of that, and, and sort of like dissolving all the elements back to,
0: to the primary Yeah, but then my problem is, has anybody ever actually gone into a coma from doing yoga? <laughs> I mean, I so this is. And it's, now we're going down a really rabbit hole, but hey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well,
1: I remember the first time I went to India in 2001. I remember, I got in the elevator in this ashram I just signed up to spend two years at, uh, at scholarship from in the Indian government. And I hopped in the elevator, and there was this two there was a young guy and a girl from uh, Bulgaria. From, and the guy had like a Timothy McVeigh stare in his eyes. Thousand yards there, you know that you do. You know what I mean? Uh, Timothy yeah. you know, we just had that like dead eye look. Like, this guy had that dead eye look in the elevator, oh, he couldn't talk. He was like basically catatonic, and it turned out he just kind of like fried himself from like doing too much yoga or something. And I was like, mm, I hope I don't end up like that guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he was he was basically catatonic, so it's weird. And that's where it gets a bit weird as well, because like you know these ashrams, they tell you to come, and then, and then yeah, I remember those.
0: they like, in their eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then you just get you just get kind of like you know shunted out the, the side door, you know. Mm-hmm. Like well, if you start, uh, yeah. if you start like you know getting a bit schizophrenic, you know they'll just like, they'll they'll send you down to get some meds. So I mean, fair enough, like you know they don't know how to deal with you generally. Yeah, We're not psychiatrists.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's one of those things where you could just keep going and going and going the more you look into it. But um, there has been um a podcast actually that um I sent you a link to, and I'll I'll hmm. make sure to hmm. put it in the show notes, and make a note of it, and of course the name is sca- uh, astray. That's what it's called, astray. Yeah, yeah. and uh, don't try about, <laughs> Yeah, and it talked about the dangers of the yoga industry in India. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. actually was interviewing a psychiatrist in India, looking at um, some of the potential negative effects it can have on Westerners who are not really sure what they're walking into or they're not being trained properly. And, oh, um, true. you know, and I, and I, for those that are interested, I can, I can leave um, some, some notes about that. Um, but uh, I think what we'll do for right now is we'll put a pin in this. Um, but what I'm going to suggest to the readers is that you check out Patrick's work. Um, he sent some really interesting stuff with regards to kind of questioning the history, um, getting people to approach yoga from a different lens, um, not to start fights. I didn't, I didn't take it that way. Um, but to just sort of get people to sort of step back and think, okay, we are told a certain narrative and maybe there's more to it. Like there is with anything in history. Um, there's always more that meets the eye. Uh, so, uh, with that, I'm going to say, uh, that's it from us for the moment for coffee and cocktails with your host, Dr. Ian Wand. Uh, again like to thank patrick for joining us at the studio this afternoon additional information on today's topic as mentioned will be available on our website in the show notes i'm also going to ask people to um check out and keep your ears open for the bonus episode because we will dive into this a bit more in terms of discussing some of the difficulties that patrick has had trying to explore topics Um, based on his positionality as, um, dare I say, a white guy uh, looking at um, research, um, non-Western research, and kind of get into that uncomfortable discussion of of why we might have issue with this and and the effects it could have on the researcher and maybe the informants and everything within that. Uh, But in the meantime, we are going to take a little bit of time off. Uh, in order to prepare for our new series this fall, so stay tuned. And if you enjoy this series and would like to check out our bonus content, consider becoming a patron starting at one pound per month. It's support from our patrons that really helps to keep the show going. By becoming a patron, you get access to bonus content, patron-only interviews, panels, workshops, and much more to join. Just head over to patreon.com slash podcast. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.